Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois. Christ is born, glorify him. That is our greeting at this time of year in the Byzantine Catholic Church as we are now celebrating the great incarnation, the divine condescension, in other words, the nativity of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ in the flesh. Hopefully you're enjoying once again the music, the sounds of Christmas in the Byzantine Catholic Church as we continue to bring them to you here on Light of the East. I do hope you're having a marvelous Christmas season, because as we know, Christmas just begins on the 25th, and the post-festive, as it were, goes basically for about 12 days. Technically, it's a little bit shorter in the Byzantine calendar, but overall, we can say that it's about 12 days. So we don't ask ourselves, how was your Christmas? We say, how is your Christmas going? How is your celebration of the Nativity of our Lord going? And mine is going very well, and I hope yours is as well also. On this particular Sunday, which is a day this year right after Christmas Day itself, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we kind of have a double dip here, as it were. On the Sunday following Christmas, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, we always celebrate people who were in close relationship to Christ. For instance, Joseph, his foster father, James, his cousin or quote-unquote brother, and also David, his ancestor. But this year, the day after Christmas also is a Sunday, and it is the 26th of December, which means we also celebrate on that day the Mother of God. In other words, we call this the Synaxis of the Mother of God on December 26th. And what this is, is a traditional thing that we do in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. I call it the characters sort of taking a bow. Those who were the featured stars of the drama, the particular event, such as now, the birth of Christ, those people actually traditionally in our calendar are featured the next day or two after the event. So who, of course, was front and center right there at the nativity scene in this nativity event, of course, was Jesus' mother, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of God. And so we celebrate her day this day, this day after Christmas, which happens this year to fall on a Sunday, 
which is also, as I mentioned, the Sunday after Christmas. So now we have to bring in these other characters as well, the other actors in this great drama, as it were, Joseph, James, and David. And the reason we celebrate and observe Joseph, James, and David is because we ask the question now that Christ is here among us. The incarnation has happened. God is among us in the flesh. He's in our presence now. He's in our world, our reality, our time, our space. The question then becomes one of relationship to this Christ. Just as you see the people in the manger scene or the icon of the nativity, you notice all of them are in relation to the Christ child. They all kind of surround or emanate out from the Christ child, and they all have a special relationship to that child. Well, so do some of his relatives, as it were, such as David, his ancestor, James, his brother, quote-unquote, or cousin, and Joseph, his foster father. And each one of these had a part to play in his becoming, in Christ's becoming, in Christ's revelation of who he is. And each one of them had a certain relationship to Christ, a special one. And the reason the church puts these relationships in front of us today is it asks us the question, what is our relationship now with this Christ? What is our relationship with the God who has become man, the God who has enfleshed himself in our time and space? He's here. He's among us. It's sort of like, what do we do with him now? What do we do about him now? What do we do about this great event? We are now in the midst of God. God is truly present among us. He's incarnated himself in our midst. It makes a difference now. How does it make a difference? What is our relationship to Christ, to God now, that he has enfleshed himself? He's become this intimate with us. And also, what is our relationship now with other people, with life, with nature, Everything has changed now. Every one of our relationships with nature, with life, with God, with one another, with family, between husbands and wives, parents and children, friends, priests and parishioners, everything has changed now because Christ has come into our midst. And so we step back at this time, and with the help of these figures, Joseph, David, and James, and also the mother of God, we examine our relationship as well to Christ. How real is it? How transformative is it? That was the whole point of Christ coming in our midst, the whole point of Christmas, not just to be a babe in a manger and a sweet sentimental observance, but rather to transform everything, especially our relationship with Christ. So I hope you're going to ask this question along with us in the Byzantine Church. What is my relationship with God, really? And from that, what is it really in relationship to all of life, to the people around me? Does it need some work? Does it need some more joy, some more celebration, some more understanding, compassion, sensitivity, prayer, whatever it is? We ask ourselves, what is our relationship now as a result of this great event?
We always enjoy hearing from you. This letter comes to us from a listener, Michael, from Puerto Rico. And Michael is Puerto Rican or living in Puerto Rico, and he's actually concerned about, it's interesting, to get a letter from someone from Puerto Rico who's concerned about how Roman Catholics still don't quite know enough about the Eastern churches. And he goes on further in his letter to say that he's concerned and kind of upset that they don't seem to be, therefore, as sensitized to some of the global issues that the Eastern Catholic churches find themselves in, such as the persecutions that they're under or were under under communism in places like Iraq and the Middle East. And so Michael brings up the question, how can we help the Roman Catholics to be more aware of the Eastern Catholics and also to care more about their situations? Well, we appreciate that letter, Michael, that bold letter. And it brings up an interesting question, a very important question. It has to do with East-West relationships. Now, in answer to your question, we have today on our program a little presentation about some of these very issues that were brought up recently at a synod in the Middle East. It was a synod of Catholic bishops in the Middle East, most of whom were Eastern Catholic. And they brought us some of these very same issues that our listener, Michael, has brought up to us in his letter. And again, we thank you, Michael, from Puerto Rico for writing this letter to us here at Light of the East. Katie's going to read a little bit of the account of this synod. And this comes from our good friend, Father Ronald Roverson, who works for United States Catholic bishops. And he kind of is, the, in a good sense, kind of like a spy. He's sort of a global spy on all the Eastern churches, whatever is happening, Orthodox and Catholic. And he presents this information from a time to time and is very, very informative. Again, his name is Father Ronald Roberson. This is his recent report on the Eastern churches. The vast majority of Catholics in the Middle East belong to Eastern Catholic churches, and their bishops spoke loudly at the Vatican, asking for greater respect and a higher profile for Eastern Catholics. Reflecting the Catholic population of the region, 140 of the 185 voting members of the Synod of Bishops of the Middle East come from the Eastern Catholic churches, and several of them addressed the Synod on October 2nd. Not only did they ask for recognition of their rights, they also emphasized the work they need to do to strengthen the Christian identity of their faithful, preserve their heritage, and end a sense of rivalry that can exist among Catholics of different rites. Bishop Vartan Walder Bogosian, the Argentina-based bishop for Armenian Catholics in Latin America, used rather strong language to get across points made by other Eastern Catholic bishops, particularly regarding limits placed on Catholic patriarchs when providing for their faithful who have immigrated from their traditional homelands. The Eastern Catholic churches, while in full communion with the Pope, have their own canon laws and disciplines, their own liturgies, spiritualities, histories, and heritage. While they tend to be identified with one country or geographical region, many of them now find that the majority of their faithful live abroad, Bishop Bogosian said. And, he said, of the 23 churches in their own right that make up the Catholic Church, only one, the Latin Church, is not subject to this limitation of the authority and power of the patriarch and synod being confined to the church's ancient geographical borders. For example, while the bishop of the Armenian Catholic Church elects bishops for dioceses in Armenia, it is the Pope who selects Armenian bishops for dioceses in the United States or Australia. The Code of Canons of the Eastern Churches described the patriarchs as, quote, fathers and leaders of their churches, Bishop Bogosian said. This paternity and jurisdiction must not be limited to a territory, especially when the majority of the church's members live outside that territory. In addition, he said, 
the patriarchs of the Eastern Catholic Churches, because of their identity as fathers and leaders of the self-governing churches that make up the Catholicism of the Catholic Church, ipso facto, should be members of the college that elects the pontiff without the need for the Latin title of cardinal. For the same reason, they should also take precedence over them, he said. Okay, as you can see from this report, some of the concerns of our listener who wrote to us today, Michael from Puerto Rico, were taken up actually by this synod. And we're going to talk about this and kind of give perspective to these concerns when we come back. I'm Father Thomas Loya with Katie Goodless here on Light of the East. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church has something special for your holiday table this Christmas season. Now, imagine an incredibly delicious nut roll or poppy seed roll from the kitchens of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. These ample and substantial old world treats are over a foot long, made with loving care from old world recipes. Just $15 each. To order your nut roll or poppy seed roll, call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. Pick up at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road in Homer Glen, Illinois. Can't get to the church? We'll put it in the mail. Just add $5. Call 708-645-0241. That's 708-645-0241. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church Nut and Poppy Seed Rolls. For pickup directions, go to ByzantineCatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Hi, Jeff Gardner again. Okay, if I haven't worn out my welcome with you, let me tell you that Catholic Radio International is a great place to advertise your business, goods, or services. Our audio and banner rates are spectacularly low, and best of all, they really work. Go to the Catholic Radio International homepage, click on Contact Us to get more information about advertising right here on Catholic Radio International. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. And again, we hope you're enjoying the sounds of Christmas in the Byzantine Catholic Church. And we do hope that you're enjoying a very blessed season of our Lord's Nativity. Before the break, Katie was reading a report from the Middle Eastern bishops, most of whom are Eastern Catholic, talking about some of the concerns, a concern that was raised even by one of our listeners who wrote to us, Michael from Puerto Rico. And the concern was about the Eastern leaders, like patriarchs, having a greater recognition, a higher profile, a greater jurisdictional freedom than they do now. What the Eastern bishops were saying was this. Currently, the way it is among the Eastern Catholic churches, if a church came, for instance, in a country from the Middle East or from, say, for instance, my church came from Central Europe, that the reigning prelate of that area, the jurisdiction of that reigning prelate goes really no further than that territory. In other words, if there are people, such as in the case of my church, that came from Central Europe to America or to Canada or the Eastern Catholic Church in the Middle East, 
if they went to other nations as well and settled there over the t- over time, that the ranking prelate of the country of origin does not have jurisdiction over those people, but rather bishops are selected to govern them in the countries that they then settle in. So, for instance, in my church, which is a Byzantine Catholic Ruthenian church, we have bishops here in America for our people, but our people originally came from Central Europe. So the bishops in Central Europe that still oversee our people there do not have jurisdiction over our people here in America. Now, that sounds a little bit complicated, but basically, simply put, it's this. If there is a patriarch or a major archbishop, which are the two highest-ranking prelates in the Eastern churches, a patriarch or a major archbishop, if he's located, for instance, in the Middle East, what these bishops are saying and what they appeal to the Pope about was that that major archbishop or patriarch should be able to govern his people wherever they are in the world and not be restricted just to his own territory, his own country. And furthermore, the Eastern Catholic bishops and elites were also asking that where an Eastern Catholic patriarch or archbishop is a cardinal, that they would not really need the title cardinal, because they say it's basically a Latin title. And for the same reason, these Eastern Catholic cardinals should also take precedence over the other cardinals because they are patriarchs or major archbishops. Now, that was kind of a strong consideration, a strong suggestion, as the report said, and indeed it is, but it is one that's worth considering, especially when you come to East-West relationships. See, these are the kind of issues that our Eastern Orthodox brothers look at very carefully. They watch with great vigilance because they like to see how does an Eastern church exist as part of the whole Catholic church? Are they treated as equals? Are they treated in the way that is commensurate with their status, for instance, as patriarch or major archbishop? These are very, very key issues, actually, and these are some of the things that these Eastern bishops from the Middle East were very concerned about. These are some of the issues that these Eastern Catholic bishops were putting forward to the Pope. It has to do with recognition of their jurisdiction. You see, it's always a question in these considerations of, are we treating each other equally? Are we respecting the different dignity and status of one another? Or is there a hint, or maybe even in practice, a kind of an imbalance, like one is sort of more superior to the other? This is the very, this can get very tricky at times. So what the Eastern Catholic bishops are saying for the Middle East at this synod was they want to see the recognition of the jurisdictional value of their leadership. They want to see that recognition a little bit more balanced in their mind, especially when it comes to territory and also of being cardinals. There are, by the way, and many times this is asked of me, yes, there are three cardinals who are Eastern Catholics. There are three patriarchs in the Eastern Catholic churches who are cardinals, and therefore, like all the rest of the cardinals, yes, they do get to help to select a pope whenever that vote is taken. Now, there is another issue that came up as well from the Eastern bishops, and Katie's going to read part of that report as well. And again, this is from Father Ron Roberson's very exhaustive and detailed report about what's happening in the Eastern churches, Orthodox and Catholic, all around the world. Members of the Synod of Bishops for the Middle East formally asked Pope Benedict XVI to change Vatican rules that technically prohibit the Eastern Catholic churches from ordaining married men outside the traditional homeland of their churches. In one of 44 propositions presented to Pope Benedict on October 23rd, the Synod members, the majority of whom were Eastern Catholics, said, 
with a view to the pastoral services of our faithful, wherever they are to be found, and to respect the traditions of the Eastern churches, it would be desirable to study the possibility of having married priests outside the patriarchal territory. After Latin bishops in North America and other areas told the Vatican that the presence of married Eastern Rite priests was creating confusion among their faithful, the Vatican in 1929 issued an order that prohibited the Eastern churches from ordaining married men in the West and from sending married priests to the West. In 1998, the bishops of Australia issued a formal statement saying that they had no opposition to married Eastern priests in Australia. The U.S. and Canadian bishops have expressed similar opinions, although not as formally. And for at least the past 10 years, some Eastern Catholic bishops have been ordaining married men in North America or accepting married priests from their church's homeland. In 1998, Cardinal Angelo Sedano, then Vatican Secretary of State, ordered Ukrainian Catholic bishops in Poland to use only celibate priests and to send their married priests to Ukraine. He said the bishops could not unilaterally modify the practice in use. At the Middle East Synod's closing news conference on October 23rd, Cardinal-designate Antonio Snegui, Patriarch of the Coptic Catholic Church, said, It is a practical problem. It is not a theological problem. If it were a theological problem, he said, the Eastern churches could not have married priests in their home territories. The whole Catholic Church confesses and confirms the richness and the gift of the priestly celibacy for the life and mission of the Church, he said, but the Eastern Churches also value the ministry of their married priests. Melkite Bishop Cyril S. Bustros of Newton, Massachusetts, told reporters that especially at a time when the Latin Church is accepting and ordaining married former Anglican priests, it does not make sense to tell Eastern Catholics that they cannot exercise their tradition of a married priesthood. In the past, only Eastern Rite priests could be married, he said, but now with the admittance of former Anglican we ask that these old prohibitions change so that there would be equality between what the Latin and Eastern bishops are allowed to do. Well, thank you, Katie. Now, just to give a little perspective on this, first of all, this tension of whether priests, especially pastors, parish priests, should be celibate or not, this tension between the East and West on this has actually been going on for many, many centuries. It's just that it kind of came to an ultimate head in the 20th century, as Katie read, when eventually in North America, or what was called the New World at that time, there was a great deal of trouble whenever the Eastern Catholic priests came over, you know, with their immigrant people, started to populate America. And at that time, the reigning clergy in America were largely Irish and German descent. In other words, Irish and German Roman Catholics. They were unfamiliar with a married priesthood, and they actually found it scandalous. So they pressed Rome, and so Rome finally, to keep the peace, said, all right, here's basically what Rome said. They didn't say you couldn't ordain married men to the priesthood per se, but in effect, that's what happened. What they actually said was there can no longer be any married priest in the quote-unquote new world. In other words, Europe could no longer send married priests, nor could ultimately married men become priests in America. In other words, for the new world, as it were. That's what they call it at that time. And so what amounted in effect was that the tradition of having married priests, especially in parishes, ended for the Eastern Catholic churches in North America, in other words, in the New World. However, it remained an unbroken tradition to this day in the countries of origin. And this is what these bishops were requesting of the Pope, that the freedom to ordain married men be extended for the bishops who are in the New World or anywhere else outside the countries of origin. Because remember, the prohibition against married priests did not apply to the Eastern Catholic churches in their countries of origin. 
It was only in the New World, such as North America and also then Australia. This is a very big issue, one that we'll visit again here on Light of the East. I do thank you for listening. Kane and I both hope that you are enjoying a very blessed Christmas season. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.